Suicide is a tough topic, but the Washington County Reach for Hope Suicide Prevention Coalition wants you to know that there is always hope. We are a caring community reaching out to provide compassion and hope for a community free of suicide. In the next half hour, we'll talk with community partners to identify risk factors, raise awareness, and discuss prevention strategies. Hello and welcome to another edition to Reach for Hope. I'm Melissa Anderson. You know, with everything that's happening in the world today, it's not a wonder that we're struggling with anxiety, depression, or even questioning what's happening next, especially when it comes to our youth. With me today to talk about how to deal with some of those questions is Joe Newman, who is the Chief Information Officer of Life Launch Centers here in St. George. And I understand you have other offices around the state as well. Welcome, Joe, and thank you for joining me today. Thank Thank you. It's a privilege being here. Yeah. Now, first of all, for those who don't know what Life Launch is, explain what it is and where you're located. Absolutely. So it's an adolescent mental health facility. We help teens and young adults overcome anxiety, depression, suicide, and other difficult mental health concerns. Yeah. And there's a lot of that going around these days, especially after COVID. I mean, we we thought we were kind of out of the woods, but it it yeah, kind of picked no. up. Uh, <laughs> what are not. what are some of the problems and concerns that our teenagers and young adults are facing today? Well, you know, anxiety, depression seem to be kind of the the highest ones. A lot of people ask, you know, why is this? You know, what what's going on and causing this? Um, I seem to find some real common um, themes along the way uh, due to some of the the culture, the today's communication patterns and things that are kind of new in our society that are contributing to this. So like, for example, I like to talk about like the Jekyll and Hyde personality split, you know, versus your like in-person personality versus your digital online personality. Um, A lot of teens express a lot of anxiety and depression around that because they're often leading two different kinds of lives. Kind of a persona then. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, another challenge that comes with uh, technology is all of the social input. Like we're, our social input capacity is limited to about 500 people. But when you open up the doors of technology and social media, suddenly you get input from millions of people potentially. And we're, our brains literally aren't wired to handle that much social input. So that kind of increases that anxiety and depression. And then, and then also the, the seemingly there's like no um, accountability. There's much less accountability with our digital interactions. And so that less accountability um, results in less connection. You know, like when, when we d- connect deeply with other people, it's because we've been vulnerable. There's high accounts of, of accountability with them. And so having a lower set of accountability in our digital lives um, kind of increases, again, that anxiety and depression. So some people might just be able to think they can do or say what they want, or and maybe they can't feel that same way. It's kind of a yeah. cross-connection in there. Oh, absolutely. And you see this starting to make uh, take a huge mental health toll. Like, for example, um, sexual harassment. What happened to that? It's, it's gone now because all of a sudden people perceive that online they can say or do whatever they want Mm -hmm. and there's like very low accountability and so you'll have people asking for nude photos and all sorts of um you know inappropriate content being produced and then because there's low accountability females particularly feel safe in producing this and distributing it but then they're not prepared for all the shame and guilt that comes along with you know giving away what's what's most sacred for them and yeah so 
that's and, a big problem. And a lot of this can can deal with uh, depression too, because then you yeah. fall into this depression, especially if you're on the other end of that. I want to play a short clip that explains um, teens that struggle with this but won't reach out. Let's take a look. Hey, CJ. I'm sorry I've been blowing off rehearsals. I know you're sick of my excuses, but I'm not just withdrawing from you guys, I'm withdrawing from everyone. I've been overwhelmed with fatigue and irritability and my anhedonia is worsening. Last week I started having suicidal thoughts. I was wondering if we could spend some time at the next practice strategizing ways I could seek help. Now, that was an ad that was put yeah. out like maybe uh, a couple of years ago, but um, I believe that this is a problem and said no teen other. I mean, obviously, they're not going to reach out with their problems yeah. and say what they really mean to say or need to say. Um, how can we deal with them when they're facing with that? Man, like, it's a real challenge because, yeah, there's this uh, there's this like screen addiction that compels them to want to continue to engage in their digital world, but then it pulls them out of their physical world. And that's really what that video was about. He's crying for help in his physical world, but he doesn't know how to get out of it. And, um, and that's, you know, it's, it's interesting when you actually give teens a space to really open up and confess anonymously, they're really willing to do that. And then it gets really, um, interesting on, on what is actually going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I know we're going to talk about that in a minute, but yeah. I want to find out, um, when, what kind of accountability then do parents, family, and friends have when these teens are struggling? Um, because if the teens aren't reaching out, then how are the parents going to know? And, and how should parents know yeah. when they need to reach out? Okay. So it's all about connection with parents. Like parents have got to have open discussion about this with their kids regularly. Not, not just like once in a while, but it's almost like a daily conversation at my house. You know, I've, I've eight children actually. And I've, um, my oldest is 18. I've got a senior in high school who's 17 and it's like a daily discussion particularly with our teenagers about what they're feeling inside, because these feelings of anxiety, depression, they creep up primarily because um, they're, it's all about fear. Anxiety is fear of the future. Depression is fear of the past. And it's really exacerbated by our online behaviors because, you know, they'll be, you know, feeling shame and guilt about something that they posted before that was maybe inappropriate. And then there's fear that that may be used against them in the future for bullying or for something else. And that causes anxiety. Yeah. So it's this constant and, and really the, when it comes to suicide, this all plays into suicide because if you're not, um, if you're not getting rid of those those fears and anxieties, they build up and they build up and they build up to a point where you start to have thoughts of, I don't know how to get out of this problem. Right. And it's scary. And when your your body's hardwired to avoid pain, so you start to come up with these ideas. Well, it would just be easier if I were just not here. So they're kind of too much in their head then yeah. and not getting out. How, when, at what point do you, do they, should they reach out to professional help for what you offer? So um, isolation and withdrawn behaviors are kind of the, the beginning. So we always talk about like, um, why do we have to wait for our kids to have crisis before we get them the education that they need? 
you know, like working on the preventative side is much better than the reparative side. And so when parents start to observe that their kid is being isolated or withdrawn, like choosing not to participate in family activities or not wanting to come out of their room and they're just stuck on their phones. That's the first warning sign. Like yeah. that's when you want to start getting help for your teen. Yeah. So why is mental health such an important per part of a person's success in life? I mean, they, I think that's where the stigma is drawn is people think, oh, if I have mental problems and I won't ever be successful and they don't want to face that challenge of being able to make that part of their life better because they're afraid they're going to be a failure. Yeah. Well, I think it's all about emotional stability because when we sense threat in our lives, whether it's digital threat or a real life threat, um, our body goes into fight or flight or freeze, right? And we start acting emotionally rather than being able to make logical thought processes. And so your participation in, in the general world, whether it's at work or relationships or, you know, just, you know, interacting in society, you have to be in an emotionally stable state. And so when we introduce these highly emotional responses uh, based from our, our digital communication, then it starts to impact us so that we can't even you know, engage in regular everyday activities. And that's a different part of the brain that you use when you become stuck in that emotional yeah. state. Um, and that's when you start getting into that suicide thought. Yeah, exactly. So why um, is Life Launch Centers interested in being part of, you know, Reach for Hope and suicide prevention then? Well, like I said, it's all about preventative versus reparative. We would love to get on the front end of this mental health crisis and help provide the education for families that they need for their kids to be successful, launch successfully into life rather than waiting for them to fail to launch. Right. And I understand you recently did a, an awareness presentation in some yeah. schools. Tell us about that and, and what parents, I, tell us about the question that you yeah. asked and how they responded. So, yeah, as part of my suicide awareness presentation, um, we talk about how technology can be a tool or it can be a trap and talk about some of the traps that are out there. And then I, I solicit their help. I say, you guys, there's so many new traps out there. We don't know them all. Can you help us out, please? So I hand out a, a a bunch of cards that say, you know, and ask them to fill in the question. One thing my parents don't know about social media is blank. And, you know, the responses that come back are, are really tremendous. Like you get a sense for the magnitude of it. I've kind of separated these into three different stacks. I don't know if you can see this here, but there's this one stack represents all of the students that say, uh, social media is bad for me. Wow. This stack represents those that say social media is good for me. And this stack represents those that say, I don't have social media because my parents know how bad it is. Wow. And when you start to look at some of these responses, like, you know, one thing my parents don't know about social media is that Snapchat is bad for me and I receive nudes. Or um, anyone can have access to it. Literally anyone from drug dealers, pedophiles, criminals, etc., also, so much easier to access dealers for just about anything. Personally, I've used it for LSD, Molly, Addy, Zan, weed, etc. What do they use? Their their parents' credit cards? Or how do they get that? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's, well, Venmo. I'm sure you can, like, transfer money in a lot of different ways. Oh, wow. Know, digitally as well as cash. But, you know, and then also the um, this one was really alarming. 
Uh, one thing my parents don't know about social media is the amount of kids who will talk to predators even when it's known they are predators. And they do that for attention, I bet. Yeah, it's curiosity. You yeah. know, there's low, there's, there's perception of low accountability. You know, they're not really going to hurt me. Right. They can't right? reach through this. <laughs> but then ultimately this one, I think says it all. It's, it's, um, one thing my parents don't know about social media is how it takes a toll on my mental stability and health. So, yeah. And they, these were how, how old were these? These are all 10th graders. They're 15 years old. Wow. And they know, they know what, um, like how, how much trap is they're, they're falling into. But the problem is, is that there's such a high addiction rate with their screen that they're not willing to give it up, but they really appreciate the opportunity to tell someone to tell someone, but it's anonymously on a card. So who's going to catch them and who's going to know who's going to help. They won't know who turned that card in and that addiction can lead to other addictions uh, with the Molly and the ecstasy or the LSD the alcohol. And I think that the surveys that the schools have done have shown that 10th graders are at one of the highest risks besides your junior high kids for, for alcohol and drug addictions. Yeah. And if they don't get that help before their seniors and go to college, then what happens? It becomes a long-term struggle for them throughout the rest of their lives. The research shows that um, when people are introduced to addictive substances or behaviors during their their um, formative years, that that becomes a propensity for them throughout the rest of their life. So tell me who's responsible for this. Society uh, is responsible for social media, correct? Yeah. But in these kids' lives... I would think that their parents yeah. should know more. How do we educate them instead of trying to educate the youth? Well, I think what we're doing here right now is part of that. But absolutely, parents have to be aware of the dangers and make healthy choices for their families. Um, people always ask, you know, what is the appropriate age for a kid to get a smartphone? And I like to ask, well, what's the appropriate age for them to start drinking or to use um, gambling or you know other addictive substances or behaviors? Um, there's a real reason why we wait, right? There's age restrictions on smoking, gambling, drinking, even like strip clubs or other things that are really enticing and, and elusive or, you know, uh, evoking. You wait for the, that time frame because their developing mind, the thing that's developing is their ability to put logic before emotional impulse. And so if they can't realize that those devices are drawing them in and causing this, all these things because their mind hasn't even put the fact that it's the device that's causing it, then they're going to get sucked into that trap. I think it's the same thing with video games, yeah, uh, Xbox or any of those. When you start Absolutely playing games where you can shoot people, I mean, and they die, but you get back up and you're alive again. Uh, how do they deal with that in reality down the road? Oh, it's, it's, it's tremendous, actually. Uh, it's kind of alarming because um, so it's all about dopamine. Right. These addictive behaviors are rewarded in our brain with this chemical that our brains create. It's called dopamine. It's a short term reward hormone. Mm -hmm. And when we engage. So like when you shoot up heroin, your body creates 700 times the amount of normal dopamine production. Okay, there is a normal, healthy amount of dopamine that your body creates. But when we do drugs, particularly heroin, it's 700 times the normal amount. Well, guess what? First person shooter games create 1,400 times the amount of normal dopamine production. Wow. Yeah. 
pornography is uh, seventeen hundred times the amount of normal. So that's got to be overwhelming and just lighting off the brain. Yeah. And I want to talk about that here. Um, it, it, you you get all of this lit up, and then how do you stimulate that? Afterwards, if you're not seeing it or producing it anymore, you're well, going to want more. Your body goes through withdrawals. Absolutely. And that's why primarily, particularly like one of the number one reasons cited for youth who take their life or in their life in suicide is that their parents took their phone away. Yeah. that, And it's because it's their drug of choice. It's their addiction of choice. And they go through real withdrawals. And you have to support them through that, just like you would any other major drug addiction. That's insane. Um, I think the most important thing for us to remember is that we all may have thoughts of suicide or have had it yes. once in our life. So we got to make sure not to make that a not normal thought process, but at the same time, it's not right. But how is it that we overcome that or become resilient uh, during these times and and know that 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 those feelings are real, but we need to figure out a way to deal with it. Yes. We have to recognize those thoughts before yes. we can deal with it. So how do we teach youth to do that? And how do we teach them to tools of becoming resilient? So the three takeaways from my suicide awareness program are number one, um, everybody has suicidal thoughts either sometime or regularly throughout their life. And it's because you're in a difficult situation that causes pain and you don't know how to get out of it. That's it. The only reason why our bodies have suicidal thoughts is because we don't like pain and we're currently experiencing some pain, maybe emotionally or relationship or something else. We don't know how to get out of that pain. And so suicide comes up as a logical solution. It's not a healthy solution, but that's, it's important to know that everybody has those thoughts. Number two, you're not weird for having those thoughts, right? The stigma is what prevents people from reaching out to get the help that they need. And then number three, to know that you can't get rid of these thoughts alone. So many people just try to struggle through it with by themselves, but it's the, it's the connection eye to eye, face to face with another human being and letting them know and talking about it and them expressing empathy and love and appreciation for you. That is actually what makes you heal. And that movies. isolation is very dangerous when you're yeah. out there, if you are alone. Um, so what kind of tools then do you offer at Life Launch to help youth, parents, whoever might be in your program to deal with that? The most powerful is group counseling, because what we're talking about is all these people who are experiencing these difficult things because they're isolated on their digital devices, right? But when you get in a group eye to eye, face to face with other people who are experiencing the same trials and difficulties you're going through, suddenly that compassion center of your brain turns on and you start to connect and feel fulfilled because that's what our bodies are programmed to do is to interact with other human beings. And so group is the one of the best things that we do. And then we do a lot of education, teach them about the neuroscience that's going on in their brain that teaches them what parts of their brain shut off when they get you know, into fight, flight, or freeze mode, uh, and then give them actual tools like breathing techniques, loving kindness phrases, uh, some self-compassionate touch. There's all these different kinds of tools that um, are researched to show that they are effective in regulating intense emotion. And we, we give them those tools and so they become self-sufficient. As well as reaching out, um, and that's what this is all about, is trying to reach out for that help and that and, and that support. And yeah. that's what we're all about. We're trying to do that because there's a lot of pressures out this, 
there these days. And, and (laughs) I mean, it's really hard. It is really, really hard. hard. How can someone then get a hold of Life Launch to, to find out more or how do they get involved? How does it work? Yeah. So best is just jump on our website at lifelaunchcenters.com. And uh, whether you're in uh, Northern Utah or Southern Utah area, we, like you said, we have centers all up and down the Wasatch Front and we can help get you some support. And so, yeah, get on the website and there's all the contact information, phone numbers and um, you know, ways to enroll. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't we're not trying to take this whole issue lightly. We've not got to we've got to figure out a way. Um, I've heard just recently out there uh, Everybody's talking about mental health, yeah, and they're actually sending it home in uh, mental health surveys, yep. or or through the hospitals when you when you go to talk to your doctor. How are you feeling today? No, how are you really feeling you really today? Feeling? And um, that in itself can be a little intimidating. Saying, "Well, I'm fine. I'm okay." Um, yeah. Even with our seniors, but our youth, it's even more intimidating, I would imagine, because nobody wants to feel different. Yeah. And or, and Joe Blow or whoever on their Facebook is, look what I did today. I'm, I've yeah. accomplished this. I've accomplished that. Look at my new this or that. Highlight reel of and their then, life. And then the other person is sitting there going, well, I don't, I don't have any. It's kind of like Charlie Brown, I got a rock, yeah, you know, for, for Halloween. And it's like, how do we instill that um, better feeling about someone's self when they're feeling so down and they're stuffing it all in. Yeah. Well, I think it boils down to education and we do actually have a, um, a program that works in schools an emotional regulation program. That's a video training series of about 90 different, um, lessons about emotional resilience and character education. And a lot of the schools down here in, in uh, Washington County use it. And uh, we've had some other counties pick it up and even some up in up Northern Utah as well. But it's got to be education. Like the the youth have to knowingly understand what's going on with their bodies and how they interact with their phone in this new, you know, digital technology era. How do we reach out to parents then? If it's education through the schools, the kids yeah. might be getting it. And then maybe the parents are just too busy because they're working. And yeah. I hate to blame the parents, but at the same time. Uh, it you starts know, in the home. It does. And absolutely. In fact, uh, Hurricane is probably the best at this. In our in our education program, it also makes the lessons available for parents to use at home to engage their children in meaningful discussion about emotions and their emotional experiences. And Hurricane, they have the most registered users and the most views. So there's communities that are getting it and realizing they need help. And they're taking advantage of the resources that we're putting out there. Yeah. And it all starts at home. Um, I don't know what the research is. I can't remember the numbers, but I know that a family that eats together stays together. And you've seen those commercials with uh, uh, parents empowered where they're looking at their phone and they're not paying attention. They might even be texting their sister or their brother across the table because they're so not engaged at the family level that they're just texting. And, oh, I got another text from so-and-so. I got to answer this back right away. They hear their phone ding and they're back on it. That addiction is is causing so much problem with yep. our brain being wired to seconds kind of in the media business versus minutes or hours or uh, allowing our body to express feelings, real feelings. Yeah. So one of the best things parents can do and anybody can do is to turn off notifications. The whole point of the way that the technology 
exploits that dopamine neural feedback loop that makes us so addicted is the notifications. So you turn off notifications, then you transform your technology from that trap back into the tool that it was intended. It's that it's all those dings and notifications and vibrations and that that create that dopamine and that addiction. So, and I know that even the light from the flow, phone, yeah, can the keep the blue light. Yeah, that blue light. Explain how that works and how that is is ruining uh, ruining our brain yeah. too. It's very interesting. This blue light from our LED screens uh, has been shown to create additional dopamine production, and so uh, there's it's kind of popular. Like my daughter wears blue light glasses, even though she doesn't even have a smartphone. But it's like this popular thing. You got blue light glasses and. Kids are starting to recognize that this is not that healthy for them. And so they're looking for ways to make it healthier. I think we need to support and push exercise it every way we can. Yeah. Outside exercise, outdoors. Oh, yeah. And we can do that here in St. George in, in, the, in this area. Oh, absolutely. Physical exercise is another one of the major tools that we teach to help kids understand that your body is craving the natural endorphins and adrenaline and all these great chemicals that are are created when you physically exercise. Mm-hmm. And the more that we do that, the more strength strong we get. So. All right. Well, I'd like to thank you for joining me today, Joe. Appreciate Absolutely. it. And then, uh, again, contact uh, Life Launch if you uh, get a chance. And remember, there's always hope. So reach out. Thanks for watching. The Reach for Hope Coalition wants you to know that we care about you and we are here to help. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, reach out. You're not alone. To access resources for yourself or others, visit our webpage at reachforhopeutah.org. That's reach, the number four, hopeutah.org. If you are experiencing a crisis, please call or text the Suicide Crisis Lifeline at 988 because you matter and there is always hope. This has been a production from a podcast studio.